I have a title for this evening's conversation. The title is Soothing the Anxious, the Anxious Heart. Soothing the Anxious Heart. Can you relate? All right. That's about all I have. No, just... <laughs> You know, it's funny, just even as I say the word soothing, I already feel a little better. Because I think it's in the nature of our heart to be soothed. But often we are, unfortunately, not looking directly at our hearts, at the nature of our hearts, but we're looking away from our hearts for soothing, going out of ourselves in search. So I thought I would start tonight in this topic, on this topic of soothing the anxious heart by reading one of my favorite poems that I haven't read for a little while from Rumi called Tending Two Shops. Don't run around this world looking for a hole to hide in. There are wild beasts in every cave. If you live with mice... The cat claws will find you. The only real rest comes when you're alone with the divine. Live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here. You have eyes that see from that nowhere and eyes that judge distances, how high, how low. You own two shops. And you run back and forth. Try to close the one that's a fearful trap. Getting always smaller. Checkmate this way. Checkmate that. Keep open the shop where you're not selling fish hooks anymore. You are the free swimming fish. So just back up a little bit to the beginning of this which I find to be the most hopeful part of the... Well, the whole poem is very hopeful to me, but the first line where he makes a shift from describing about how what kinds of trouble we can get into when we are looking for a cave to crawl in and we're looking, we're trying to avoid the cat claws, etc. He says, live in the nowhere where you came from even though you have an address here. So live in the nowhere, I think, is an invitation for us to just be here. But not the idea of here, but here absent the word. So not not simply to be not to be here or there, but just aware. And so notice, even in these few moments that we experiment, notice what happens when you don't look back into the past. Doesn't exist anyway. Don't look forward. Future is unborn. We we talk about that a lot. Don't look back and don't look ahead. And then just let yourself be here And then remove the word here. Be now, and then remove the word now. 
And notice when you don't consult your memory or your plans or give rise to any ideas of yesterday or tomorrow or any ideas of yourself when you suspend all views of yourself that usually are of the past. Just notice what it's like when you just let your attention rest here and then remove the idea of here. Because there really is no here. That's just an idea. There's no now even. That's just another idea. So let's just let all those ideas go away for a moment after the last one is gone and before the next one comes. And just notice what it is that's experienced in the nowhere where you came from. And now remove the idea of nowhere. And maybe someone in the room could tell me what what you notice after your last idea has passed and before the next one arises. What is it that's experienced? Anybody willing to say? Please. Quietness. Anyone else? Freedom. Anyone else? Joy. Alive. So, does your heart need soothing right now? All desires are fulfilled. And all we did was for a few moments suspend the concept of time, suspend the concept of place, suspend the concept of ourselves, the story of our lives, the views of where we've been or where we're going. We just, just for a moment, let ourselves be in the nowhere where we came from. And we didn't ultimately have to move a muscle. All we had to do was let ourselves be. So the heart, clearly the heart of soothing, the heart of the matter of soothing the anxious heart is to simply stop struggling, straining to get somewhere or to get rid of something. Stop fighting with reality and to just sense what it's like when we're... uh, we're not searching for. Remember the whole of our path ultimately is to be a finder, not a seeker. It's to get off the path, not to get on it. And every, in fact, every moment that we are simply present, we we, you could say we're treading the path, but we're also stepping off of it. We're finding. We're realizing, and we may not even realize it, but we are realizing that we are in our natural state, in the state of being present. We are exactly what we are looking for in terms of the deepest possible soothing that we can find for our anxious hearts. We are what we're looking for. Does this make any sense? 
So why do we forget this? It would be great if we could just remember it, to live in the nowhere where you came from. But we forget because, as the poem suggests, we have an address here. We have a name. We have an address. We have a social security number. We have a mother, or had a mother, have a father, or had a father. We had a religion. We had a height. We had a weight. Our identity, that address, is tethered to our bodies, and our bodies are insecure, changing, growing, aging, unreliable. Our minds, much of our identity tied to our mental ideas, our mental strength, and sometimes our mind is strong, sometimes it's weak. Lots and lots of thousands of unwanted thoughts come every day. And to the degree that I'm dependent on and believe what goes through my mind, that's all part of my address here, I, I become deluded and confused. And that's just, a, that's just what happens when you're born. You're, you have an address here. We all have an address. We all are conditioned to be somebody, or at least desire to be somebody. You know the poem, everybody wants to be somebody. Nobody seems to want to be nobody, as the poem goes. Except for people who come here. Everybody wants to be somebody, nobody wants to be nobody. But if that somebody could just be nobody that nobody would really be somebody. That's not original. It's a commonly read passage. But it's true. If we could just be nobody, we would just be so much somebody. Not somebody that's above anyone else, but we would just be so utterly, naturally ourselves. Not busy so maniacally trying to be different. We would just rest our weary, anxious heart in this unfolding now, minus the idea of now. This here. But because we have an address here and we are so conditioned, we have lost touch. We've basically done four things really wrong. We've become disembodied. We've become disconnected from an orientation of our minds being in the same location as our body. Not just in the same neighborhood, but embodied. We've lost a sense of embodied presence. That is uh, the first illness, you could say. And you can hear, even as you hear this, this cause of so much distress being disembodied, that the cure is in the recognition of the cause. The second major cause is we have lost 
because we have lost contact with our body, we've lost contact with that moment when stimuli make contact with our senses. Do you know what it's like, and you can discover it even in this moment, know what it's like when you're just seeing for a moment. Just seeing. You're not yet, you're not yet reacting to the sight. You're not yet commenting on it. You're not yet comparing it to some other sight. You're not yet trying to see if you can figure out how to keep looking in this way or get rid of what you're looking at. You're just seeing. You notice in the seeing, in the simple immediacy of the sense experience of seeing, there's, um, there's a, an aliveness. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I get, I get kind of, I, for lack of a better word, I get kind of stoned when I'm just with the bare sense experience. I really like that. It's cool. It, and because I like it so much, it's not just the craving. It, it means it, it has the impact of me not wanting to be anywhere else. How can I improve on this moment of seeing? And if I really just hear, and it is a miracle that we can hear and, and, make, and make sense of what we're hearing and then think about it and compare it. And it's advanced thinking. It's advanced function, unique to humans, to be able to, to synthesize a lot of information. But what really tur- ultimately turns us on in a way that can't, that all the thinking in the world can't, is just the bare experience of hearing. The bare experience of feeling the texture of life, the, the impact of life, the felt experience. Just feel your body for a moment without any extra other than that amazing experience of sensitivity, of hardness or softness or pressure, coolness, warmth, vibrating. Just the pulsing. It's kind of embodiedness. You know, we've gotten so wound up that this may not feel that amazing to you. But if you slow down a little, spend a little time touching into the immediacy of sensation, it's, it's fully, fully alive and awake. And the same with smell and taste, all these amazing sense experiences. And by being disconnected from the immediate sense experiences, we miss the fact that every sense experience, everything that we smell or see or hear, has conditioned with it somehow a a feeling of pleasant. Some experiences... Immediately, there's an association with pleasant, so we miss the, the next, the feeling tone that accompanies every experience. Pleasant, we, for, we, don't, we miss the pleasant, really. Amazing that every experience has a ple- either pleasant or unpleasant or is kind of neutral. And because we miss this, and it, again, it, it, it flows from being disembodied, 
Because we miss these feeling tones, we miss that it is lawful that if, it's a, if there's a pleasant feeling tone and it's missed, it's immediately followed by liking. And that liking, if it's missed, is followed by wanting. And wanting usually is what produces the, the, a level of, of tension or pressure that then spawns the plan of how I'm going to have more of whatever it is that I'm experiencing. And pretty soon we're off in that disconnected world of planning, strategizing, hoping, expecting, hooking our wagon to what's next instead of this immediate felt experience of, oh, this is pleasant. And if I'm able to stay embodied, stay connected in that moment of pleasantness or unpleasantness or the neutrality, the pleasantness leads to, to a sense of, of delight, of comfort, home. The unpleasant leads to, it may be, lead to compassion, but it'll lead to the recognition that, uh, that uh, this is just unpleasant. I don't need to run from this. And the, often there's a feeling of, of contentment or equanimity that comes. And especially if I can feel the neutral without just tripping out into a fantasy because it wasn't stimulating enough to, to, uh, to captivate my attention. The neutral then helps us settle into this kind of boundless openness, this, this ease, this contentment of not needing to have excessive stimulation to be, to be happy, to be well. That's a whole conversation in itself. So this is the so we miss the body, we miss the feeling tones. We also miss the different states of the heart and mind. We don't and when I say we miss them, we know we're having all kinds of states. We're having happiness, we're having sadness, we're having fear, we're having jealousy, we're having all the mental states of doubt and restlessness and agitation and dullness, lots of dullness, and wanting and not wanting, as I've already mentioned. We're, we're spinning in a world of mental states, moods, and emotions. But why I say that we're missing them is we're, we are marvelous at living in the, in the narrative and the drama of them, but we're not actually, because of our disembodiment, losing touch with our body. We don't know how to feel these things. We don't know how to feel desire, feel anger, feel doubt, feel delight, feel contentment, feel sorrow. Because as if we were able to feel them, the very feeling that is sometimes hard to bear becomes our doorway, becomes our way back home to ourselves becomes the cause of the soothing rather than the cause of more dis-ease. The more we enter into the, the, the dream of our different mental states, the story, and just stay there, they're just endless. We enter the world of samsara, of this endless kind of loop until grace comes and we wake up and come go through some kind of drama, live through that lifetime, and then that one ends and we're left weary, but at least we're home again for a few moments, back in the simple reality. 
back in the nowhere where we came from. Last but not least, we the the fault that we fall into or the the cause of our distress and our anxious heart is that we are confused. We live in confusion. We live with a lack, and a lot because we tend to be disembodied, we have a lack of clear perception of how life actually is. And what do I mean by that? Well, typically, for most of us, we seek after some kind of permanent satisfaction in things that are fleeting. Anybody recognize yourself in that? We look for, we look for uh, a reliable place to rest our attention in experiences and things that are unreliable and changing. And we look for a, a definition of ourself. We look for a sense of self and a kind of solid place of abiding as me in things that are selfless. And that includes our thoughts. Our thoughts are their own thinkers. Our feelings, their coming and going of themselves. Our sensations even, that which we tend to be most identified with, is not self. This body is just the body going through whatever it does. So personalizing even this body, even though conventionally speaking it's my body and your body is your body, the underlying reality is this body is, is arising according to laws. Arises, we're here, not through any fault of our own. Our parents got together. Did I, I think I, for some reason, I think I talked about this last week. Did I? Yeah. I probably talked about all these things last week. <laughs> I, this evening I was talking to a few people before and I had not one moment of recollection of what happened last week here. <laughs> it was the funniest, funniest thing. So... Probably the same talk, and that's okay. (laughs) So the four faults, the four things that we miss, the body, the feeling tones, the moods, emotions, the immediate, not just the story of them, but the immediate felt sense, and the the laws of reality, we um, have within them their cures. The cure is to put your mind in your body as one teacher put it, do, Ajahn Chai, I think, do not let your mind leave your body. Maybe it was Ajahn Buddhadasa. Do not let your mind leave your body. And that's not just a, something that you say for, for Tuesday nights. That's something that we, want, we need to do all the time. Keep our mind in the same location of our body. Our body is always present. It is the, it is the stepping off point into the, um, you could say, into the nowhere where you came from. Puts us back in touch with the timeless. Because as soon as we feel our body, we step out of the idea of it. And we enter the world of, of the field of sensations. And we, in that way, we, in some ways, we enter the deathless. Because the sensations are always appearing, disappearing, appearing, disappearing. It's, we're, we're beyond the idea at that point of our body and the reminder, oh, my body's getting old, my body's getting this, my body's dying. We, 
not that that's not all true, but that's relative truth. We touch into the absolute truth that our that our body is like a field of effervescence. It's kind of just sparkle of reality. I don't know if that makes sense, but I like saying it. So put your mind in your body, your body in your mind. Secondly, tune in to all through the day, whenever you can remember, tune in to the, the feeling tone of what's happening. This is called the second foundation of mindful attention, of mindfulness. It's the understanding of Vedana, the valence, the feeling tone that accompanies every experience, which is the launching pad for all our different reactions. And if you can maintain sensitivity at, that, at the launch site, you can actually prevent a, a wayward rocket. You can prevent a, a chaotic move into, your, into lost in your imagination. You can just notice, oh, this is pleasant. You can actually learn to enjoy the pleasant, be able to much more easily accommodate the unpleasant, and not space out so much when, you're, um, when it's neutral. And that may not seem like that big a deal, we, but it's when we space out, when we enter into that virtual reality, is when we enter into the address that we have here that's always measuring, am I okay? Will I be okay? Is... is uh, uh, am I good enough? Am I competent enough? Am, and we enter into that w- world that is so diminishing to our determination, to our, to our, to the flame that that we need, the, the centeredness that we need to actually do our life. You've got to be fierce because it's tough. It's tough here. You have to be determined. You can't be wimpy. You can't be lost in some kind of self-story that, that I'm not enough and I can't do it. That is just indulgent. You have to be fierce. Please. You've got ref- to find your body again. You've got to find your body again. You've got to feel the unpleasantness of it, whatever the residue. And, you've got, and that's the moment that you plant the seed of determination. And, you, and it's only then, when we're present, that we can cultivate the things that support us being um, strong, fierce, competent, all the things that, that are really our, our nat- part of our natural state, but we lose when we go so far afield in our, what we call the personality view, the view of ourself that's often so diminished and small. And, it's, and we, of course, when we're lost, we, we don't know it's a lie. We don't know it's a distortion. And that's why it's so important to stay awake. Stay awake. Stay in your body. And you'll feel a lot of fire if you stay in your body. You'll feel, you'll feel like, you, like you belong here. In your mind, you feel like you don't. Except for the moments when you're, grand, when, when you're inflated. But those are, those are very um, flimsy, too, and insecure. So stay in your body. Be in touch with your feeling, your feeling tone. Learn how to find strength in your intense emotions. Feel them. Don't think about them. Or think about them and feel them. But don't forget to let them be the cause of your presence rather than the cause of your, of your uh, needing to be somewhere else. So when you feel angry, 
Feel, let anger be angry. See what it's like. Instead of what happens, I, I brought an example of what happens when someone is off in the story of anger and doesn't feel it. They just basically just dump on it, on their environment. Here's a, a nice little story. A woman wants to, some potatoes for, for a meal she's cooking, so she sends her husband to the marketplace to buy potatoes. As he walks out of the door, she calls after him, be sure and get a good price. So all the way to the marketplace, the man is thinking about potatoes and what he'll have to pay for them. If he buys the very best potatoes, he knows he'll have to pay more than if he buys the lesser quality potatoes. On the other hand, the lesser quality potatoes are just that, not so good. In fact, he knows he'll have to be very careful in buying other than the top price potatoes because the seller might try to stick him with a bad potato, even a rotten potato. When he thinks of someone cheating him by giving him a rotten potato, he gets really mad. Why do people have to be so greedy and stick me with a rotten potato? Just at this point, he reaches the stall of the potato seller and screams at him, you can keep your rotten potatoes and walks off. <laughs> that is from thinking about your feelings and not feeling them. Anyway, you, I think you get the point. So last but not least is developing clear perception, knowledge and vision of things as they are. And knowledge and vision of things as they are, at least according to the Buddha, is, as I mentioned before, is reversing those three misperceptions. Everything has the nature to arise and to pass away. Everything that arises and passes away is not a place that you can find a reliable sense of happiness. And whatever arises and passes away is really selfless. And that's anything in your life. is it, it, If you make it part of your self-definition, you will feel insecure. Your body, your mind, your moods, let it recognize the selfless nature. That's one level of it. The other is knowledge and vision of things as they are. Uh, the first thing I can think of right now is this world has rotten potatoes. There are rotten potatoes in this world. I can either freak out about that or I can live in harmony with it. In other words, life has dukkha, has things that are hard to bear. There's suffering. And what, what intensifies it, what turns it into mental suffering is fighting with it, is being so at odds with life the way it is, as being so caught up in wanting it to be different that we lose contact with the nowhere where we came from and spend our lives wandering into that imagined future that never arrives. And then we, we cheat ourselves of, of life. We live in chronic postponement. The third it's possible to let go of that whole mess of confusion and contentiousness with reality. We can find rest right here. There's an end to suffering, especially the mental suffering. The physical part, we can't do much about. We can do a lot about our mental reaction to it, but certain pain is just inevitable as long as you're born. And then last but not least, there's a path, and hopefully you're treading it and it's the, it's the pathless past that ends in every moment that you're mindful and that you bring loving kindness to your experience. And that path must be cultivated and, and we can all do that. But we can't be, can't be um, wishy-washy. You've got to really keep your mind and your body. 
and keep practicing wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. Keep your mind training again and again to stay here. Keep your energy up. Develop continuous mindful attention, concentration, and continual clarification moment after moment of what's the intention for doing what I'm doing, saying what I'm saying, thinking for what I'm thinking. Is my intention to just make a case for the prosecution against me or someone else? Or is my case to be, is my intention to be free and to be of benefit? What's my intention? Keep clarifying. Keep clarifying. And don't forget the Four Noble Truths any day, every day. There's dukkha in life. There's hard things that are hard. What makes it worse is fighting with it. And it, it ends as we stop struggling and we, can, and we can all wake up. That's all I want to say tonight. Any comments or questions before we retire to our different addresses? Let's see if there's a, a poem to end with. I guess this is a... I guess this is the uh, kind of graphic uh, plea from the great meditation master, Noshul Ken Rinpoche, to practice. It's called the Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness, a spontaneous song. I, I will be using some graphic language. Homage to the sovereign within. Mindfulness. I am the sword of mon- mindfulness. Look, friends, when seeing me, be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly and see into the nature of the mind. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of the practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the friend of aware wisdom. Mindfulness is the support of all the, all the teachings. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Lack of mindfulness can accomplish nothing. Lack of mindfulness is a pile of shit. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of piss. Without mindfulness, you are a heartful, cor- heartless corpse. Friends, please be mindful. By the aspiration of the lamas, the buddhas, the bodhisattvas, the lineage masters, may all friends attain stable mindfulness. These words were composed by the stupid ox with the buck teeth, the bad monk, Jamyang Dorje, and offered to his Vajra friends with the eyes of the Dharma. Please be mindful. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. Live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here. You have eyes that see from that nowhere, and eyes that judge distances, how high, how low. You own two shops, and you run back and forth. 
Try to close the one that's a fearful trap, getting always smaller, checkmate, this way, checkmate that. Keep open the shop where you're not selling fish hooks anymore. You are the free swimming fish. May all beings realize the natural freedom of staying awake and conscious, our natural state. May all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet our life with less struggle and reactivity. May all beings recognize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now, and not lift out of this moment to find it. And may our practice tonight and every night, today and every day, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. May all hearts and minds be touched by the Dharma. May our practice soothe our anxious hearts. Got a little cramp here. <laughs> it's just a cramp. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. <laughs> anyway, just a gentle reminder of of our um, our two Donna baskets, the teacher Donna basket. Much appreciation. Whatever I offer is free. If you feel to offer freely in response, much appreciation. Also, the room rental, one hundred and fifty dollars a week. We have to pay, so any support with that. And if you feel to get a tax uh, deduction for your offering, for either you can make a check out to the uh, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church and put Mission Dharma on the memo line. Anyway, thanks for um, your presence here especially, and thanks for your practice, and hope to see you next week. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.